Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Catholic Talk Show. I'm here, as usual, with Ryan and Father Rich. Hey, guys. What's happening, Ryan De La Croce? Ryan, I'm Father. I'm here, Ryan, Ryan Father. Ryan. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. I know. I know. We're here in uh, in Hollywood at the Cast Media Studios. Are Hollywood. Downtown LA. It looks like Culver City over there. Nice day today. Um, we got a topic for you. It's groundbreaking scientific achievements of Catholic scientists. Did I, did I say that right? That's right? right. Yeah, that's close enough. Yeah. Science. Truly groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. Like the ground was broken when they did it. Actually, you're not too far off with the groundbreaking part and that, you know, literal translation of it. We'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, of course we will. Of course we are. Our our resident church nerd is going to bring us into the real understanding of things. Hip, hip, hooray! Yeah! You know, I always, when I think about science in the church, I always think about Nacho Libre. I don't know if you guys saw that amazing film when, you know, he was really concerned about his salvation and stuff, his little wrestler friend, you know? And he was mad because he's like, you know, I believe in science. Why you always judge me because I believe in science? Yeah. And that that was a a groundbreaking moment in my life because I was like, why is it? No, it wasn't. But like the church, a lot of people think the church is just like a scientific, right? And that, um, that, uh, you know, that we believe in fairy tales, Mm -hmm. which some we do in Disney movies and stuff, but, you know, I think I think this is a, a good topic. It's a good topic because it's going to bring out not just you know the church's understanding of scientific achievements, but but actually like the contributions, mm-hmm. and it's good to contribute. That's right. You I know, so. I, yeah. Really, the idea that the church is opposed to science is you know, dumb. It's dumb. It really is. <laughs> you know, and and it's really kind of an invention of you know the Enlightenment era. And I think it's really perpetuated today, especially online about, you know, with young people who don't really understand history and they don't understand the role the church played in essentially building Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I can't count how many times I've seen, well, oh, the church, you know, his anti-science and they believe the world is 6,000 years old. And, you know, they share images of like, you know, if the church didn't exist in the Middle Ages, we'd be on other planets now. And it, it's, you know, it's a really... Uh, Galileo. Galileo. Who was wrong? Galileo. Galileo. <laughs> but it's, Galileo Figaro. For the people who talk about how much the church is anti-scientific, it really, um, it's really interesting how actually uneducated that makes them sound. And if they really had any any love of learning, they'd understand that the Catholic Church um, has contributed so significantly to the advancement of sciences and the you know and how they underpin Western civilization that. Uh, it would almost it would be easy to say that the world we live in and the scientific achievements that we have would not be possible without the Catholic Church and the environment that it created and the idea that the world is knowable and the world is able to be understood. There's a rational thought behind creation. And mm. that that is why that you see so many of the scientific achievements that humankind has achieved have come out of the tradition of the West. It's been influenced by Christianity. Yeah. I think it's a very modern issue where it seems like science and faith are at war. You think of, you know, the late, you know, 20th century uh, to really the, excuse me, the late 19th century into the early 20th century. You know, you have great minds like Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. You know, you have these guys who are really making every effort to bring back into communion 
this effort of science and faith and how truly they are drawn together in a beautiful union. But it, it takes work because there was a period of time in Chardin's life and most certainly, you know, the end of, uh, you know, the 19th century into the 20th century that there was this process of separation. Mm. You know, there is um, there is a there's a quote that I really love that I think really uh, gets to the heart of the matter of, of religion and science from someone, uh, a guy named Sir William Bragg. And he was asked if he thought religion and science were opposed. And he said, absolutely, they're opposed. In the same way that my, my, my fingers and my thumb are opposed, and between which the two I can grasp everything. Mm. And I think that's a really great way that's to... fantastic quote. I like that. Yeah. 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 Posable thumbs. Yeah. And there's been so many, so many insights that have been provided in the whole process of, of the gift of faith and reason. You know, John Paul II's encyclical, Fetus et Ratio, Chardin's contributions, brilliant. There's a quote from Pierre Chardin that I like is, religion and science are the two conjugated faces or phases of one and the same complete act of knowledge. The only one which can embrace the past and the future of evolution and so contemplate, measure, and fulfill them. It's this whole concept of like we're being drawn into a greater fulfillment by way of these two realities that are worthy of our pursuit. Yeah, yeah. The, the famous scientist Heisberg said that the first uh, drink from the glass of science will lead to atheism. But by finishing the full glass of science, you'll see that in the bottom of the glass is religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, there were some sciences that I think the, the church was kind of at odds with too, like in the Enlightenment period, weren't they? Not necessarily. You yeah. know, most of the things, and we'll get to that, but most of the things that you'll see where the church is opposing science, you know, specifically like Galileo or, you know, even with Copernicus, who we'll talk about, is that the church didn't like the extrapolation of religious truths based off of tenuous, unproven scientific theories. Uh, for example, Galileo's model of the universe based off the Copernican model was not actually right. Even his scientific theories were not right. But the thing they really took offense with was that he was trying to extrapolate religious truths out of the observations of the physical world, which was really not outside of the realm. So it was really more of a censure against using his findings to enlighten religion, not so much as they cared what the science itself was. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, so let's get started. What do we got? So we I, got? I think the most fundamental one that we should start with talking about is uh, you'll you'll see a lot of people kind of um, attack Christianity and say, well, you believe that Jesus rode around on dinosaurs and the earth is 6,000 years old. And they kind of latch onto the do idea. I have a t-shirt with Jesus on top of a velociraptor. You do? <laughs> no, That's actually, so I, cool. really, I really want one. They make socks like that, too. That's right. Cats, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, cats, yeah. A lot of cats with laser beam eyes. Yeah, but, you know, people who really are uneducated, they try to ascribe to the church the idea that we're young earth creationists or that even the majority of Christians are, and that's just not the case. That is such a such a minuscule fringe element within Christianity that actually believes that the earth is literally 6,000 years old. And it's it's a pretty common thing that detractors of the church bring up to say, well, oh, you don't even know anything. The church is 6,000 years old. But I think one point that really refutes that an element, you know, that that argument is the very fact that the theory of the Big Bang was actually first uh, proposed by a Catholic priest, Monsignor George Lemaitre. Hmm. Do you guys know Did that? Did you say Lemonade? 
George, yeah, George Lemonade. Huh. Father George Lemaitre. Lemaitre. Now he was he was a Belgian. Lemaitre. He was a Belgian astronomer, uh, astrophysicist, a mathematician. Um, he served. Smart guy. Very smart guy. You know who he hung out with? Was I, he a Jesuit? He was. Him and Einstein used to hang out, and mm. you know. Those Jesuits. They used to drink oh, yeah. and know things. Yeah, they, they, they drink and know things. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like us. <laughs> well, some we of us drink. an episode. Some of us drink, drink and some of things. us drink and know things, and some of us drink more drinking and less knowing. Yes. I'm not naming anyone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who that would be. <laughs> no pointing fingers? Yeah, so actually. Stop it. Yeah. Heresy. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> Yeah, Monsignor George LeMate, him and uh, Einstein, they did a speaking tour in California in 1933, really probably not too far where we're from. This Monsignor, this Catholic priest, he took the he took the understanding and some of the achievements and some of the papers that Einstein had done and he extrapolated them into a model for the creation of the universe, which he called the theory of the cosmic egg, which essentially is what we know as the Big Bang. Mm. That so, was the first ever sort of yes. hypothesis. That's right. So, you know, when he first proposed it, you know, he described the, un the beginning of the universe as almost um, a burst of fireworks. And really what he was talking about is uh, all matter and time and everything that the universe is comprised of was, um, you know, condensed down into a single spot called a singularity. That's a big singularity. Mm. Mm. Not really. It was infinitesimally small. So that, but then from there, all things, you know, exploded out. Um, essentially, and that's 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 the that's the layman's explanation of the Big Bang. Now, when he first proposed this, a lot of people kind of dismissed it as wishful thinking from a creationist. They're like, you know, your you know your extrapolation of you know Einstein theories is really you trying to fit the Big Bang or the creation of the universe and the science behind it to a Catholic model. But not too long after he proposed it, there was a um, astronomer uh, and a mathematician, uh, Hubble, who discovered the red and blue shifts. And there's a lot more science behind it. I'm not even attempt to get into it, but really, that really tried to validate, that really did validate his theory. So the very concept that the Big Bang is the creation of the universe comes from a Catholic priest. And I don't think any Catholic priest or anyone who knows anything about the Big Bang thinks it happened 6,000 years ago. So I think it's pretty easy to refute that idea that, you know, Catholics are either... Um, you know, young earth creationists or yeah. don't really it's understand like in, cosmology. Interpreting the Bible, you know, it's like the literal, you know, like people literally read the Bible sometimes. And in, in areas where it's not so literal, it's it's people communicating God's word through stories, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I think of also like relating it to the mustard seed and things that begin with such singularity that then can grow and produce fruit. You know, mm -hmm. and and grow and and mustard seeds. You know, that eventually turn into plants. They populate and can kind of control an entire region. So we're in California right now, and the Spaniards and the Franciscans with San Juan de Parasera, they actually planted mustard seeds all along the path of the El Camino Real. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's one of the most invasive you know, plants, really. And it comes to populate such huge areas. That's why it's called the golden road, hmm. you know? So from this beautiful Big Bang theory that comes from this priest, it's interesting to think of what can start with just a small beginning and what can, what can truly develop from it. 
Um, I can't help also but to think of Aristotle, you know, the first mover unmoved. That's I remember right. when I first came across that in my undergrad studies, I was just so blown away by that because there has to be a principle of motion and a principle of beginning. And uh, this is a wonderful beginning to this awesome podcast. Yeah, that's right. I, th- You know, for me, I, I agree that, you know, thinking about the Big Bang and that not only was all matter, but, you know, the actual space-time continuum and all even, you know, time itself was condensed into a spot. Um, and that something outside of everything had to logically move on it to even make that singularity react and do what it did and create the Big Bang. So to me, yeah, it really does move into, you know, Aristotle and Aquinas and, you know, the unmoved mover. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I just think that anyone who looks at that and can't even have, a, you know, a skeptical eye or at least an understanding that, that there's a possibility that the universe is a creation and not a, th- a thing um, is willfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just like my understanding of astronomy, which is very profound, I'm sure you you guys know. We were all impressed. Yeah, um, like just just the the thrust of the solar system, how we're we're moving, right? We're we're not like just kind of spinning and rotating, like you know, in elementary school, you got the little you know mobiles that you make. And if you think about that and the gravitational forces at play with these very large objects we call planets and then you, the size of these stars. Like I was looking through the star app on my phone with my son and, it, and there was a star is like 150 light years away. And he said, how far is that? I was like, well, that light you're looking at is 150 years old. And he was just like, wow. Yeah, no, so you think it's something infinitesimally mm-hmm, small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's, what's physically out there. It's, it's just mind-boggling. You know, another thing that kind of relates to cosmology, because I don't think we have the time or the expertise to really get into cosmology, but if you look at the some of the <clears> works <throat> that uh, Father Spitzer has done, oh, oh, he's man, brilliant. He's, awesome. he's, oh, he's just cool. another absolutely brilliant Jesuit mm-hmm. priest. And some of the things that he talks about of cosmic fine-tuning is if you're a mathematician and you, or not, or you've, he really explains you know, statistical probabilities and the balance between, you know, dark energy and the matter of the universe and the improbability that life could even exist, let alone the improbability that the universe itself could exist and sustain itself. It's it's really fascinating. It's something that I think you should go check out on. And he doesn't speak Father's over continue. your head. I mean, no. he's so accessible, but so profound and he's so brilliant. And he's, and for those of you who don't know Father Spitzer, he, he's blind. That's right. And he has folks that work with him, they read him these scientific journals and reports that come out from all these major, you know, colleges around the world. And it just burns and sears into his brain. That's right. It's amazing. And he wasn't always blind, which, you know, a lot of people who are blind at birth, they have this, this these honing skills, right? It's all learned from him. Wow. It's amazing. It is. He's just a truly amazing guy. Father Spitzer. Yeah, the Magis Center. Look him up. Magis Center. Magis Center. Yeah, look him up. Dial it up, Doc. Dial it up. Put it up. That's right. Google him. Google. You know, <laughs> I, I think another thing that, uh, you know, that kind of comes out of that is that not only did it, was it a priest, but it was accepted even by the Pope very early. In 1951, Pope Pius XII gave a speech to the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and saying, look, Big Bang, there is nothing in this that would, you know, go against you know, the, 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 the teachings and the universal truths of the, of the, um, of, of the church. And Lemaitre, Lemaitre himself, he said, look, 
if God decided that the understanding of an atom was important, he would have told Moses, but it's not. And that there's more mystery and more knowledge and more to be gained out of understanding the Eucharist. So it was a really interesting balance that he had even within himself. Right. Einstein talked about the Eucharist mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. He did. That, that great mystery, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, you know, Big bang. Yeah. Bang. Now you, you, you're talking about uh, mobiles, right? And how they spin around. Yeah. Do you know that the science that underpins that was actually invented by a uh, Catholic Scottish monk? Get out of here. Yeah. The first electric motor and the advancement of electric, uh, electric motors was uh, invented by a Benedictine monk in Scotland named uh, Andrew Gordon hmm. in the hmm. 1740s. Another interesting fact is that um, Benjamin Fra- Franklin tried to steal his credit. So Benjamin Franklin made the motor? I thought it was no. Ford. No, 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 no. The electric motor. Electric, electric motor. The electric gotcha. motor. So basically, you know, what he had created was two very early models of the electric motor. One was called the electric whirl, and one was an electric chime. And basically, he would use the induction of electricity through, you know, wire that would then cause, you know, a rotation, and that would that, generate. generate the movement. Yeah. And that's the first electric motor. Um, so when... Benjamin Franklin was first doing his, uh, you know, his flying the kite with the key. He was actually using uh, this Benedictine monk's um, invention, um, an electrical enunciator for the experiment and took credit for it. Mm. Bad Benjamin. Bad, bad Benjamin. It's all about those Benjamins, right? It's all (laughs) about Benjamin. Baby. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, and if you think of the application of electric motors, it's in fans and computers and appliances, and it's really one of the things that really pushed um, mechanical engineering forward. And, I mean, you cannot underestimate how much that impacts. I mean, the air conditioning in here, the fans in our computers, um, just the idea of, you know. Those scooters out there on Sunset. How cool. We owe that to a monk. I know. That's right. So when you're scooting around... (laughs) Think of the monk. Respect. 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 Yeah, that's pretty cool. A lot of monks invented things, didn't they? I mean, this is like, this is a- Thank God for monks. I know, right? They spend a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time in study. And work. And working, man. Aura et labora. Yeah. Prayer and work. Yeah. When they go hand in hand, great things can be co-created with God. Yeah, we'll get into some other monk creations too in another mm. episode. That's right. Yeah, that'll be the I think that the episode one on alcohol, fun. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Catholics be drinking. That sounds like fun. I mean, just even, you know, from the Catholic Church, the very idea of the scientific method, which is, you know, observation and and putting in variables and measuring results, that hypotheses all right, that that underpins all of science is that that practical approach, the observation, measurement, and testing of hypotheses that really proves scientific theories. And you think that that's so fundamental and elemental that it's always been around, but that's not the case, actually. Mm. So the very fact that we have sciences and the scientific method is owed to a Franciscan English friar named Roger Bacon. Hmm. Roger. Bacon. Back to bacon again. That that's right. Roger Bacon. Yeah, that's right. Roger Bacon. Oh. Is he a monk? He was a friar. friar. Franciscan. Friar. So, you know, even though the idea of observing and hypothesizing and putting in variables and testing and all these things have been around, uh, 
the Pope was um, Pope Clement the Fourth. He was he was looking for improvements on how to better educate the monks in you know ecclesial studies and to kind of systematize this. And by doing this, Roger Bacon took all the elements of you know some of the learning of even the Arabic scholars, some of the Greek scholars, and he created a system for education. And it, it, out of that, he's now known as the God, the grandfather of scientific method. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yep. So, um so you got the big bang, mm-hmm. scientific method, electric motor, electric, electric motor. I mean, I think those are those are pretty big things, right? Scooters. Very big thing. Look at how we live every day. I mean, we live with these inventions, you know, every single day. And where would we be without them? Mm-hmm. Hot. 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 Not moving around very well. That's right. Not scooting. Not scooting, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, and everyone out there listening and who, sub, you know, who's uh, subscribed on uh, catholictalkshow.com, you're probably using some sort of, you know, computer device, either your phone or, you know, laptop or whatever. Uh, do you guys know that the first woman to get a PhD in computer science was actually a Catholic nun? Wow. Wow. That's right. And I know so little. I know. Just like the universe is expanding, so is our understanding of the Catholic <laughs> Church. What would at we do without- At a much slower rate. At a much slower rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so-, so uh, Where were they giving out computer science degrees? Where were they They weren't. You know, she was actually one of the first, I think, MIT? five or so in the- No, so this- uh, Where do you think they were giving it? Hold on. Five, Ave Maria five University. No, man, no, come it, was, on. it wasn't around. I there. bet you it's Hamburg. Hamburg? No. So I would say- uh, Oxford? No. Sister Sorbonne University. Sister Mary Kenneth Keller, born in Ohio, 1914. Oh. She entered the Sisters of Charity, uh, professed her vows in 1940. And she went on to study at DePaul, where she received her uh, BS in mathematics. And then her um, she went on to the University of Wisconsin, Purdue, uh, Michigan, and Dartmouth. Dartmouth. And, and Dartmouth. she got it from Dartmouth. Wow. Yeah. Now, at the time, Dartmouth actually banned all women from using any of the computer technology. When was this? Like 1960s. 1960s. The 1960s. They did not allow women in the 1960s at Dartmouth to even touch the computers. Yeah, I don't let my wife touch my computer. No? (laughs) No, and it's 2000s. Okay, Dartmouth. (laughs) It's 2007. It's the 2000s. I don't let my wife touch them. That's not good. She's going to break it. I don't know. (laughs) That's why I got my fingerprint on it. Uh Uh-huh. Listen, Jen, I'm going to work with you guys, all right? I'll work with Ryan, try to soften his heart a little so bit. So these computers were like, these were like jacked up. These are, they were, like bi- the they were as big as this were building. Yeah, right? huge. And, yeah. you know, you touch one of the, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe like, I don't know, maybe they you touch it the wrong place, it just blows up or something. <laughs> no, I mean, it was really kind of just the, you know, the attitude of the time that. Yeah. But But being that she was a, you know, a nun, a, a Catholic sister. I think it was maybe less threatening, or maybe just even out of deference or reverence for you know her habit, they allowed her in, and her work led to some of the development of the first coding language, BASIC. Wow, what? That's amazing. That's right. I had a software company. That's crazy. We should put her picture. Up yeah, you should in the office. Yeah, in 1965, she was the first woman to earn her PhD in computer sciences with her dissert- dissertation titled. Inductive inference on computer-generated patterns. I mean, this is a smart, smart lady. Wow. Yep. And then she 
And then after that, she went on to find um, <clears throat> the computer science program at a college in Iowa where she lived out the rest of her days. But, I mean, that's, that's pretty groundbreaking that a Catholic nun, Catholic sister, was the first woman ever to get a degree in computer sciences and help under, you know yeah. help develop the first coding language. And her calling was to teach this. That's right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think it's pretty cool that, you know, she kind of fought back a little bit against, you know, some of that discrimination and that wasn't allowing her. You know? Another Nacho Libre quote. Have you ever been in love with a nun? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this is... Another Nacho Libre quote. Man, I mean, how could you not love a yeah. nun that, you know, established herself so well, so productively, in, you know, the wake of, of so much, you know, challenges of... Yeah. You know, women entering into the workspace yeah. and, you know, that sense of equality and, the and women's rights. That were kind of kept over their head. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, this is just, I love stories like that. There, yeah, there should too. be a movie about her. Yeah, there should. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is. Now, you know, there's another study that's been going on. It's, you know, going on concurrently, and it's it's called the Nun Study. And what it's doing is it's it's studying Alzheimer's and degenerative brain diseases. And um, the... The school sisters of Notre Dame who educated me growing up, what they've been doing is all the sisters have been donating their brains to this study after their death so they can understand the differences in brains and why some some people into their old, old age are still, you know, maintain their faculties, why others right. lose it earlier. And, you know, they're, you know they've been yeah. doing this for over 30 years, studying nuns' brains, and it's been one of the most... Uh, wow. One of the most, you know, Did useful you know sources no of research into Alzheimer's. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Organ donors. Mm. I'm an organ donor. An me organ too. Donor. Yeah. I'm not. I'm taking them with me. <laughs> I'm taking them all. <laughs> you take my liver out of my dead hands. <laughs> Nobody wants your liver, pal. Uh, probably not. It's it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, no bueno. No bueno. No bueno. That's cool. What was what was uh, so this this scientific research Alzheimer's like? This is this is like a. Just a very difficult disease to to, to deal with as families, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah, I had I, to I know a couple of families that have been oh, through yeah. that. Yeah, I had my grandfather had dementia and Alzheimer's uh, later in his life, and yeah. it's very challenging, very challenging. Beautiful moments of great memory in those those final days, but it was it's tough. A, it was a lot of suffering. Yeah. Yeah, hope they find a cure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we pray, we pray for anybody out there listening that you may be you may be struggling with a family member, but know that there are a lot of good people out there working for a cure, and we pray that God may strengthen you and you have beautiful moments of charity and and intimate moments together. Uh, it's a great gift to be a caretaker and um, yeah, steward. Yeah, so some of the most wonderful moments with my grandfather. He was like my dad. And, um, you know, I had these beautiful moments with him all throughout my life, but some of the greatest moments with him were when he was dying and and I had to bathe him and I had to care for him. And, you know, my stepdad was such an outstanding caretaker of my grandfather too. Cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Is it just these nuns donating their brains, or well, it- in this particular study, it's just these nuns okay. who've been doing it for thirty years, and I think that's kind of part of the control of it because they have similar lifestyles, similar education. It's a focus. It's a group that has less variables. variables that's yeah. right. So they can really Talking understand about the, the scientific method. Oh, that is, yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, now I'm sure this is one that probably a lot of you know, but I think it's worth mentioning in this episode is uh, Gregor Mendel. 
That name sounds familiar. It does. It should. I mean, that's something they teach you in third grade. Did he invent the boom box? He did. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. No. (laughs) Gregor Mendel really is kind of considered the father of genetics. Mm. He was an Augustinian. And uh, in his work, what he was doing is he was, you know, studying the variation of pea plants, you know, of, you know, common garden pea, right? Yeah. And in his observations over a 10-year period, he he bred 29,000 different pea plants and then looked at how the traits from one was passed on to another. So he would see a variation in the size of the leaf or the color of the mm. pea or, or whatever. And from that, he kind of extrapolated the very beginnings of the theory of genetic traits and how the, those are passed on. Wow. Most of your plants in your backyard are pea plants, right? Yeah, yeah. Pea plants and uh, <laughs> carrots. Carrots. Carrots and peas. Carrots and peas. <laughs> peas and carrots. Peas and carrots. You know, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he wasn't, a, he wasn't necessarily a scientist. And so when he first put out his work, he didn't really have access to the scientific journal. So mm-hmm. his work really was not celebrated. Theoretical. Until, yeah. Based on- it didn't really get wide acceptance in the scientific um, community because he wasn't really a member of it and didn't right. have access to the proper ways of publishing these things. But, you know, after time went on and people really understood what was going on, it really became a groundbreaking, yeah. you know. Catholic ground- achievement That's right. in science. Breaking the ground. Wait, you said you were going to tell us what that meant. I am. So, are we waiting or? So, what what breaks the ground? Especially we're we're here in L.A., so you know, in Southern California, earth-shattering phenomenon. That's right. So, phenomenon. That's such a great word. Phenomenal. Phenomenon. Um, in some circles, that the seismology, the study of earthquakes, um, is known as the Jesuit science. Because the Jesuits had made so many advancements towards the understanding of seismology that it really is almost like one of their pet projects. And mm. that um, and man, did those Jesuits have pet projects? Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, they named all the the, the craters well, on the moon, didn't they? Yeah, there's actually there's 35 craters on the moon named after after Jesuit astronomers. Mm. Yeah, they're they're oh. everywhere. It's just a big Jesuit plot to take what over a contribution everything. Contribution in history. Yeah. Yeah, the the first how did um, they find those craters? Did they have telescopes back then? They did. They did. Telescopes. In the observatory over here in, in Los Park. Angeles in Griffith Park, they have one of the first telescopes that was used. Um, really? Right there on display. That's it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a great place to go visit. Wow. Yeah. So actually, the first um, the first seismograph um, was installed by a Jesuit priest in the year 1900 in Cleveland, Ohio. Hmm. hmm. Well, they pre- don't get earthquakes there. No, actually, you know, we I had we've had like two in my life. Huh? They're really small. It's like, you know, it's not much they're louder not than groundbreaking. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> it's like someone turned up Gregor Mendel's boombox really loud. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> oh man, what did he invent again? He invented this. Seismology. Well, so the Jesuits, you know, throughout their order, contributed so many, you know, from plate tectonics to the movement of you know you know the Earth's crust and seismology that it became known as the the Jesuit science. Gotcha. But the this one um, Jesuit um, Frederick Odenbach uh, installed the first um, size um, uh, seismograph in Cleveland, Ohio, in 1900. 
pretty cool. And then and what the Jesuits, you know, they got a bunch of colleges too, right? Right. I mean, they're like a big educational force so in our society. Using that exact same network of colleges, they installed a network of seismographs across the country at 38 different Jesuit colleges so they could really understand how seismology works across the entire continent of North America, or at least the portion that. Pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Groundbreaking. That's, that's ground. Groundbreaking. It's very groundbreaking. Break the ground. Ground monitoring. Ground that's monitoring. Yeah. We need more Jesuits out there, by the way. So yeah. consider a call to that beautiful order. That's awesome. Yeah. Founded by St. Ignatius of Loyola. That's right. Yep. Mm -mm. So what's, uh, what's next on the agenda? So I think the last one I'd like to talk about is uh, Copernicus. You know, Copernicus, you know, definitely Catholic. But do you know what Copernicus did? Uh, he has like, like latitude and longitude or something. No. Mm. So, Rich. No, bro. I'm. I'm you want to see? I, guess is I know. I studied Copernicus. I just have no memory of. Uh, the Earth is round. No. Copernicus. Elephant bones. No. <laughs> no. The heliocentric model of the solar system. Ah. And what's a helio? That that's the sun. The sun. The sun's gotcha. at the middle. Before that, they used what's called the Ptolemaic system of that. the universe, and that's where the Earth and, uh, and the yeah. sun and the planets revolved around the Earth. Yeah. But uh, based on Copernicus's work, you know, he said, no, this, you know, we're we're in a heliocentric universe or solar system, mm. and uh, you know, that. So you can have faith and be nerdy too. It's pretty much right. You're a perfect example. I mean, <laughs> brother, you have got such a rich source of information in that beautiful brain, the beautiful mind of Ryan Scheele. That's it's right. It's because I had a proper education with the with the uh, sisters of Notre Dame and yeah. not, uh, not where you two went. Public school. Yeah. <laughs> We're spending a lot of time on the football field and the basketball court. Yeah, I can beat you in basketball. <laughs> Nah, man, I was all I was all city in three sports for CYO. Wow, yeah. wow. that's right. Jack I got the Bishop's Award. Hey, yeah, my ex, yeah. I mean, I, growing up, we were poor and we didn't have any money, and my grandparents were not very rich either. But they said, "I don't care what it takes. We're sending all these five of you to Catholic school because it's that important." And it's that's probably incredible. one of the greatest things, maybe the greatest gift I've ever gotten was a Catholic education. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very important. Mm -hmm. Very important. All mm -hmm. right, so because in Catholic education, it's where you marry faith and reason. And I was so privileged to go to Ave Maria University, and that was my first experience of a Catholic school. And one of the things that I learned is that all of the various sciences, under the the queen of all sciences, theology, should rotate together in this thing called university. That it's a turning together, universo, a turning together as one, that all of these practices should truly lift us and elevate us to God and a better knowledge and understanding, a greater wisdom. You know, John Paul II in his letter, Fides et Ratio, this beautiful encyclical, highly recommend reading. It was definitely something very impactful in my undergrad years. He said, faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word, to know himself, so that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth about themselves. 
recognizing that Imago Dei inside of each of us and coming to that greater knowledge of all that is before us in science and faith, we come to a greater knowledge of what we are receivers of. And God has put out there an expanding universe to be explored and to truly adventure into the unknown so that we may be filled with this wonderful knowledge before us. Yeah, I remember the two years I was in the seminary, the first year we studied philosophy. And I was like, what does philosophy have to do with this? You know, we're studying Mm -hmm. Aristotle and Plato. And I'm like, these guys, Christ wasn't even around. And I I realized, you know, this this is good, right? This is a good thing, right? Aristotle, Plato, all these guys, they left all these bodies of works behind that we use to explain the faith, right? I mean, it's it's like, you know, um, it's just amazing how the, the two come together. And that, that first year I was in the seminary, I, I was reading all these great works and, you know, realized that you know, we take we take everything that's good. We, it's, mm-hmm. If it's good, we love it. Oh, it's true. Know? And those and metanoia moments, like, you know, when you first like yeah. experience in philosophy class, your mind opens up and it's like everything is restructured. The way that you look at the universe, the way that you look at life and politics and peoples. And it is one of the greatest experiences in life. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, both of you guys went to seminary. Uh, You guys went there in the same seminary. One one got the collar, the other got the uh, Columbia shirt. The kids. (laughs) One got the collar, one got the kids. (laughs) Columbia shirt. (laughs) But... uh, the whole idea of the universities and colleges and the university system actually evolved out of out of uh, seminaries. Mm-hmm. What they were they were originally called cathedral schools, and the cathedral would have masters who would teach the, um, theology and canon law to the people to the to the priests and the clergy around that cathedral. And out of these schools, eventually developed the universities, and that's why. Like all the oldest universities in the entire world were founded by the Catholic Church, like uh, Bologna, Paris, Oxford, uh, Cambridge, uh, you know, Perugia. These are the oldest schools in the entire world. Some of these colleges are 800 years old. And clerical garb developing from academic garb. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole idea of cassock. You know, it comes from that same type of academic regalia than what you what you would wear. It was identified, you know, you were identifiable as someone who is in the know and you're a teacher. And that's one of the one of the aspects of, of ministry to wow. teach and inform. Well, this has been very educational for me. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good good uh Thank you, God, for the brains of Ryan Shield. Yes. He's got the and brains. The brains of the church. Oh, my goodness. We love the brains of the church. There's so much to explore. Yeah. We've got to dig deeper. Yeah. That's right. And Put know, some ground together, huh? That's it. Now it's time to find out if you know things. Aye. All so, right. Time for the- it's time for the- I'm prepared. Inquisition. Inquisition. You stumped me. I'm, I'm, I'm stumped from the last one. All right. Now this one is more of a hypothetical situation and more of a what would you do? Okay. Or is it something that would actually work? Hmm. Now let's imagine, Father, you are also, in, in, you know, in addition to your training of, of uh, ministry, you also got that secret Van Helsing training, and you are a vampire fighter. Yeah. Ooh. Right? Cool. I love vampire slayers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the movies where the priests Buffy. are the vampire oh, slayers, yeah, are, that's buddy. just, yeah, it doesn't oh, get much I eat better. Those up. Right. Now, Say there's a massive vampire invasion. Say in downtown LA, there's thousands of vampires. 
garlic candle is a must. Garlickcandles.com. Go to garlickcandles.com. <laughs> you can follow garlic candles on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's the feasibility of this tactic? And this is something that me and my friends were having a couple drinks and we're talking, how would you, you know, take out a bunch of vampires? Say a thousand of them invaded the city. Could we take you, get you in a plane on a rainy day when there's vampires, mm. drop you out of a plane through a parachute, and as you're passing through the clouds, bless the clouds, turn them rain into drops. holy water, and make all the raindrops into holy water Ooh. to take out the vampires in one That's epic. I've seen an epic scene in a, in a fantastic movie. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, priest vampire slayer. And you have one of those suits on where you can like oh, yeah. fly around. Yeah, your oh, cassock right. pops out and it turns into like <laughs> Batman. Like a squirrel, big squirrel, flying squirrel. I'm throwing like silver crosses. <laughs> so could you bless a cloud and turn it into holy water rain? Oh, but you out better vampires? believe it. You better believe it. You've got to think that. outside of the box. Yeah. You know, if, if we're being invaded like that... <laughs> Dude, I would be calling down the reins. All man. of your training up to this point. Oh, yeah. And, and that's where I'm moment. like, you know what? Thank goodness I had a rain stick in the seminary. Yeah. You know? You guys, are, you guys are yeah. talking about the rain sticks. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. All my life has been my leading me up to this moment. <laughs> Nosferatu. Oh, my practice with this rain stick. <laughs> now it all makes sense. I have to use the bathroom for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> So, a valid theory, something you can oh, do. Oh, absolutely. Now, but would you have to actually be in the plane, in the cloud at the moment? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. So, you have an effect. Dis- so, you have a, you have a Wi-Fi. I flying through the cloud. That's what I mean. Yeah, no. Th- th- I mean, you don't have a priest Wi-Fi where you preference. can shoot up your blessing into the clouds, preference. right? Because it's all about intentionality, you know? So, I can intend the blessing over that particular body of water to then come down and rain. But a cloud yeah. is water vapor. But it's contained. Oh, you'd in have the to essence. bottle some of it up. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Father Rich is a superhero, jumping out of planes through clouds and oh, making yeah, vampire killing holy water rain. We I just I want like a really epic song. You know, like some Black Sabbath, Nacho Libre. Pick a song from there. I am. I am a religious man. <laughs> and I'm just like slaying all these vampires. <laughs> let's, let's give Jack Black a call and see if we can oh, make that happen. Big Jack, shout out to Jack at, Black. Dude, I'm telling you what, when I'm down and I'm I'm out, you know, and I need a little reboot to my priesthood, that's that's bro, I go, I go to your movie, man, Nacho Libre and yeah. Eddie Murphy's Life, and that just gets me through. Come on down to the Vine Tower, man. Yeah, let's hang dude. out for a little while. I'd love to chill with you. I think really this episode was about just understanding how much the Catholic Church really has contributed to science and that anyone to tell you that there's a, there's a opposition from religion or that religion and science are you know not compatible just really doesn't understand religion or science or the, or vampires or, or vampires. vampires yeah because the church loves the science it's not just they likes they, the like science, it. they love it love it science i don't hate him now no. because of science no um, what was his name? The the other uh, oh, wrestler man. in that? Yeah. I can't remember his name. I remember the little kid that gave him the sweats. Uh, the sweats. The sweats. When he was stealing the chips. Remember that? <laughs> oh, gosh. If you haven't watched Nacho Libre, make sure you check out that movie. Oh, man. All, All right. Well, faves. thanks for joining us on another Catholic talk show podcast. Uh, really appreciate you listening. If Subscribe, you- follow. 
Yeah, and do and the things. Some comments That's and right. uh, feedback, and and let us know if we have a, a new inquisition. That's right. Question: mm. If you've got one, yeah, go to catholictalkshow.com. Uh, catholictalkshow.com. Let me get that clearer. Yeah, you can subscribe to any of the services that you like to use uh, to follow us. Um, you know, make sure you comment and let us know what we did good, uh, what could get better. Any questions that you'd like to ask? Anything you'd like to? Yeah, uh, inquisit uh, father with and any ideas for shows and bring it on, bring it on, bring it, bring it. And if you're a vampire, watch out, Father Look Rich out is coming why. for you. I am, I am a religious man. <laughs> I think I am. All right, see you next time. <laughs> Peace. Later.